Welcome to Young and Sanctified, a podcast that meets on the intersection of youth ministry, faith, culture, and society. My hope is to equip and encourage you as you aim to best disciple and love the next generation. Let's get to it. Well, I am so excited today to be having a conversation with Dr. Chinway Williams. Did I pronounce that right? Chinway, that was Chinway. Oh, though. I'm so sorry. Chinway Williams about a book she co-authored, Seen Healing Despair and Anxiety in Kids and Teens Through the Power of Connection. Dr. Williams, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, before we dive in today's crucial topic of mental health, can you share a little bit about yourself and your story and how you came to care about mental health so much? Yeah, absolutely. I always start with my family because, you know, you've heard it before. I'm sure just in a thousand times, your family really is your primary, your first ministry. So mm. I'm a, I'm a mom of two young boys. Braden, my oldest is 10. My uh, youngest son is Noah and he's six. And I have a fresh 18 year old Jalen who's upstairs actually right now. And she, um, is just amazing first year of college. And I've been married to my college sweetheart. Uh, we met at the University of Georgia for 12 years now. So hmm. um, we, um, yeah, so we're just like a family like everyone else with ups and downs. And so I always tell people when I talk to ministry leaders, uh, church leaders, youth pastors, and parents that I am also learning as I'm, you know, imparting information, things shift in my own personal and family life that I think is so important to be authentic about that, you know, parenting and caring for uh, the younger generation is not for the faint of heart. So, mm. um, so that's the first thing. Professionally, I started my career as a school counselor. So that's where my background with uh, youth comes from or stems from. And I um, counseled youth from 14 to 18 and 19. And then after that, mm. and actually simultaneously, I worked with families in the community. And I'm such a big believer that you really can't work with young people effectively unless you bring in the family system, because that is just it, it, it's their primary influence. So. Mm. Um, so currently I've been, uh, working as a private practice clinician. So I'm a therapist, um, have an office in Roswell, Georgia, which is a suburb outside of Atlanta. And I've been teaching for quite a number of years. So. Mm. Awesome. Well, what, what a legacy of ministering and caring for young people. Um, so uh, let's talk, let's talk about teens for a sec. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm curious to hear your insights on just what is going on with our young people? Because I, I recently went to, there's a high school right down the road for the church I work at. Mm -hmm. And I connected with their psychologist and social worker. And, and they were just lamenting on how all their teens are suffering with mental health issues. Um, yeah. And they say, it's not just the school, it's the district here. And I imagine it's even greater than just where I live in Wisconsin. So can you talk about that a little bit? What's going on? Yeah, you um, are absolutely correct. Um, we are feeling it across the nation. Um, I talked to my friend Dave Admison, um, and he said that they're seeing it in Australia, which is where mm. he lives currently. I have family in Canada. So this is a global issue, but I'm, I'm going to kind of stick with what we see here in, in the U.S. Um, youth mental health has been um, at a crisis point, Justin, for 
a really long time, I would say about 10 years. Um, so we talk a lot about mm-hmm. what we've been seeing um, in terms of the effects of the health pandemic. But the truth of the matter is mental health therapists will tell you that we've been feeling this for a long time. Mm. However, 2020 was a doozy um, with everything that our country went through um, psychologically with uh, just the uncertainty and the disruption in our life routines. Um, And in addition, sometimes we forget that was like a really like firestorm of a year as it relates to racial unrest, social unrest, political discourse and division. Um, And it's easy to kind of want to forget those things. As a trauma therapist, I I talk about how trauma is awful. So Mm -hmm. we want to move on quickly from that, right? But the truth of the matter is that we are feeling the effects still, even Mm -hmm. as schools have reopened, which was huge for my teenagers, my goodness, like as soon as the pandemic hit, this is interesting with, with adolescents, Justin, um, do you work with adolescents by the way, or younger kids? So this is interesting. Maybe you saw this too. In the beginning of the pandemic, um, my teens were like, hooray, (laughs) right? Right. Yeah. This is amazing. It felt like a reprieve. It felt like a release because the pressure talking about mental health crisis and youth, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that, that is the big thing, academic Mm. pressure, social pressures, um, feeling like they needed to meet the expectations of their parents. So that Mm. that's, that's a big part of what we are seeing with depression and anxiety, the rise of it. So when that academic pressure lifted, people were like, this is amazing, my young people. And then after about a month of it, and we didn't know when this was going to end, mm-hmm. it felt less like a vacation and felt more like entrapment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some of the things, especially my teen girls would say is, I miss school. And I'll say, I like, know, tell me about it. You know, are there favorite classes? Is it this? Mm. Is it a teacher? They'll say, I miss hugging my friend. Mm. And something as simple as hugging friends, it could be a possible health risk or crisis or issue right, and then their right. parents were nervous right so kids don't aren't were as so much nervous about the health issues as much as just the disconnection and the isolation from their peers yeah that makes sense i i, I remember reading an article i'm in grad school by the way and i, I was yeah. writing a paper on young people and i read an article where it said that when we went into isolation um mm-hmm. initially depression did increase, but anxiety slightly decreased for a little bit. And so that's, yeah. And that's interesting. And I even have, I'll be honest, I have my own anxiety diagnosis. And I remember the first month I was like, this is great. (laughs) I love this, but I'm I'm with you on what you said of like, after a while, I was like, okay, this, let's go back to normal. This is getting old. This is getting old. And with anxiety, especially it's about the future. It's Mm -hmm. about expectations and being able to meet those expectations and you know a season of uncertainty is going to generate lots and lots of anxiety yeah yeah well yeah that that makes sense um so let's talk about scene a little bit um first of all that that such a timely book uh, I saw a friend share it on their Instagram story and I bought it immediately and I'm reading it so it's it's so good um but can I read a quote real quick 100 percent So you and your co-authors say this, 
People who are in despair experience a physical dispairing in the brain, which causes a person to become emotionally detached. The good news I was looking for is that study after study from different disciplines of human sciences confirm that relational connection can help repair, uh, help the brain repair itself. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the dispairing of this brain. Yes. Thank you so much. First of all, Justin, I could tell just by your prep (laughs) and our, you know, correspondence prior to this podcast that you really, you know, dove into the book. And I so appreciate that. And and part of what we say about the book is that it's a two hour read. You know, we don't cover everything comprehensively. Right. Um, you know, we're busy people. Mm-hmm, so thank mm-hmm. you for taking the time to read. So yeah, despairing. Um, and the cover of the of the book is is a brain, right? Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. and it's a brain that you see a visible um, division there. And so despairing is what happens when an individual. And so this is not just for youth; it's really for any of us, right? This is just the basics of brain science. It's the process of disconnection after a long period of stress. And so stress is a part of life. We are going to absolutely experience stress and stress happens when good things happen in our life and stress helps us to feel motivated and ready and prepared. And so stress isn't a bad thing. Where it gets to be problematic is when we experience chronic stress. So that's Mm. like a slow drip of this hormone called cortisol, which does damage to our bodies and our minds. And so it's important to know that how God wired our brains is pretty fascinating. And so when we experience despair, the brain is, let me back up, made up of two parts. And so there's the emotional, it's actually made up of more than two parts, but just to simplify things, there's the emotional part of the brain, which is the right brain, and there's the more logical part of the brain, which is um, the left brain. And mm. so when we experience threat or fear or uncertainty, unanswered questions, so it doesn't have to be threat to our life. It can just be a perceived sense of, I don't feel okay. And if that happens for too long, either because of heightened, heightened anxiety or levels of depression, what happens is we're not able to access both sides of our brain. Both sides of our brain isn't able to communicate effectively. And that's Mm. the way that we, we function. So in a healthy brain, we're able to process experiences and events in our life back and forth. So for example, let's say that you, and this is a very simple example, you're, you go to see a movie that you're super excited about and everybody told you that it's amazing. And there was like a plot twist in your system. Your body wasn't really expecting mm-hmm. something to happen and something horrible and tragic happens. And let's say to your favorite character, right? Or in a horror movie, something scary jumps out. You feel it in your body. Most of us are going to be like, whoa, if it's something that we don't expect, the emotional part of our brain is going to be like, wait a minute, this feels really jarring. However, what happens pretty quickly when your brain is functioning well is that the logical part of your brain says, Justin, you're okay. Like mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're watching a movie. Look, your friend is next to you. You're, you know, you're, you're, you know, whatever, your girlfriend or someone that you feel safe around is right here. We're watching a screen. These are actors, right? Mm-hmm. That happens all the time. And I can give you a number 
of examples of how our brain goes back and forth. Mm. During despair, you aren't able to access that logical part of your brain. And so we write this in the book. And when I do talks, it's really important to kind of illustrate this. Sometimes when you ask the young person, like, who's been in despair, how are you feeling? They'll say, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Part of that is because they aren't able to access emotional language. Oh, interesting. Because that is in the logical part of the brain. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that is, um, again, an oversimplification, but we have found, my co-author and I will have found that when we do have these conversations with ministry leaders, youth pastors, um, parents, it's really kind of eye-opening, right? So that's why we can't even really argue with someone effectively who's in mm-hmm. fight or flight because mm-hmm. they're not going to be able to pull the logic out. They're just going to be like, I'm just mad at you, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you want to give people a moment to, um, uh, you know, from a brain science perspective, have the, both sides of their brains be connected. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a helpful tool for at least me saying what you just said of, you know, when you ask a young person, you know, how are you feeling? Or even like, I imagine like, how was your day or something? Yeah. There's this one, there's this one or a few young people at our church where I'll ask those questions and it's the same thing. I don't, I, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. It was fine. Yeah. That's exactly right. And some of it, you know, honestly, from a from a developmental perspective, and if you're talking about, you know, a specific gender, so males in particular, we just don't do a good job of socializing them to even be able to name what it is they're feeling. (laughs) So that is a big part of it. And then the other part of it is just depending on the household that you grow up, feelings may not have been highlighted or seen mm-hmm. as important or seen as even necessary, mm-hmm. right? Like you're not allowed to feel. So a, a huge part of this movement that we've been seeing, not just with therapists, but with ministry leaders and educators is providing our young people with emotional language. So mm-hmm. for your listeners, emotional literacy, go look it up. It is so important. Um, so when you see something like a feelings wheel, which we talk about in the book and it's actually being mm-hmm. sold almost everywhere now mm-hmm. and parents love it. I wish I had a graphic of it. Maybe we can, you know, put something in the show notes, but mm-hmm. it's, it, it's the um, visual representation of all so many feelings that mm-hmm. we as humans experience, but don't often identify or recognize or even can name. Mm-hmm. And Justin, this is a little bit off topic, but this is so important Research shows us that research has, you know, shown us that we are able to reduce our anxiety, reduce levels of despair, find that reattachment Hmm. connection when we name our emotions. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's fascinating. I I need to get one in my office then. (laughs) It's a good one. I'm trying to figure out what page it is in the book, but um, it's a good one. And I have one in my office. I I wish I brought it. It's Mm -hmm. um, I use it with, I use it. I work with adults as well. I use Mm -hmm. it with adults. I use it with church leaders. I use it with corporate people. um, And it's helpful. Mm -hmm. So do you think people, I didn't, I didn't prep you with this question. So we Mm -hmm. can move on if you want, but do you, do you think, so when adolescents and young people, when they grow up, without joining the two halves together does it ever do they ever grow out of the disparing or is that something they have to work intentionally work on 
Yeah, that's such a good question. You do, you do. Your 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 brain isn't going to stay in a perpetual state of despair. It can okay. go back to it. Like it just, it, it, that's not going to happen, which is the good news. Mm-hmm. Um, the better news is that there ha- there needs to be some intentionality so that you can learn the tools to either prevent, mitigate, or reduce the high, high levels of despair. So if we're being honest, some people suffer from despair and depression uh, because of genetics mm-hmm. right? and brain yeah. chemistry. Uh, you know, so that's a little bit of, you know, that's something that has to be managed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in, uh, the other side of it is that some of us just aren't as connected to the important adults in our life. Some kids are not connected to even other peers. And mm-hmm. so when people ask about the, uh, we get this question a lot, the difference between depression and despair. Why do we call this book despair versus depression? healing anxiety and despair. Um, The reason is depression is a clinical diagnosis that not everyone um, will ever experience. But I believe that most of us as human beings will have moments of despair. Hmm. And despair, again, is that disconnection. That's what's happening in the brain. But what's happening in real life in Mm -hmm. the spiritual world that we live in is feeling disconnected from other people, which mm-hmm. can cause disconnection within ourselves, and then a feeling of hopelessness mm-hmm. and des- desperation. Uh, so that can happen without being depressed. That mm-hmm. can happen mm-hmm. outside of a clinical diagnosis. And so just to go a little deep here, and I don't want to alarm anyone, but we're having this conversation about mental health, so I want us to be real. An estimated, I believe, 3,000 youth die by suicide every year in our country. And so I believe that the reason for that is not that they intend to take their own life. Mm. Um, The reason for that is that they are in a state of despair where they feel so hopeless and so desperate Mm. and, and disconnected. So in that moment, if someone were to call Justin, or, or, or text and just say, Hey, dude, I'm thinking about you. Mm-hmm. I love you. Want to grab a coffee tomorrow? Do you want to, you know, hang out? You want to do a game? You know, whatever. Um, yeah. my, 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 my guys on my adolescent guys are like on Discord gaming all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I'm telling you, that's probably what has kept them okay during the pandemic. So I'm okay yeah. with that. Uh, you know, just making that connection that throws somebody out of despair and like it makes them think it, it, mm-hmm. it kind of, activates that more logical sense. And for adolescents, that social peer connection is so Mm. critical. So, you know, going back to your question, I do think it's something that can be helped. I think we teach as therapists coping skills to be able to manage levels of, of despair and anxiety. And it really does help to bring another caring adult another caring peer into the equation. Hmm. Gotcha. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so let's, can we talk a little bit about some repairing tools and old tools? So in the first chapter, you title it old tools, which I found really fitting. I liked that. Um, and throughout the book, you connect with that concept of, you know, talking about avoiding cliches, for instance, I hate cliches, you know, let go, let God and all that stuff, pray about it. Um, can you talk a little bit about 
so, like, what are these old tools? And I'm curious to hear, like, how did we get here? Cause it, as I was reading it, I, I was just mm-hmm. like, man, it seems like we're so unempathetic towards people <laughs> and towards young people. Yeah. So we could talk about that a bit. Yeah. I'm so curious. Can I ask you, like, how are you, how, how are you seeing that? Like the, the lack of empathy towards young yeah. people. Just give me an example. I'm curious. Like in the book or just in real life? Just in real life. Yeah. Like what you Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've just seen young people, whether it's just like, Hey, I'm really struggling with school or like school's so hard or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, back in my day, you know, <laughs> um, you know, it's, I, I, I heard a conversation where an older gentleman talked about like he lived through the Vietnam war and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, you kids are so spoiled and this, that it's just completely discredited the suffering that exactly. this young person was feeling. And I think that happens a lot unintentionally, but yeah. you know, my generations lived through, you know, nine 11 and now a pandemic yes. and we don't pay yes. attention to that. No, we don't. We all, I'm so glad you shared that. Um, almost every single live talk that I do, I get um, an, an older, you know, gentleman, an older person come up and talk very well intentioned. By the way, they showed mm-hmm. up. They didn't need yeah. to be at this talk about youth mental health, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but they said, they were like, mm, do you think part of it is just they don't have enough? And, and a little bit is just entitlement. And a little bit is, um, you know, they're, um, what's that word? Snowflake or whatever. Yeah. You know, some, sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I'm just, you know. <laughs> Um, so I hear, I hear all forms of things, right? Some of, some of them gentle and then some of them a little bit harsh, like pull yourself up, get over it, life is hard, that kind of thing. And so the old tools that we, you know, reference are things that, you know, our mothers and fathers and our, you know, the generation prior, our grandparents Mm. used to say, which by the way, worked with with us or the previous generation, like mm-hmm. it was what they did in that culture. So Justin, have you ever heard, um, do as I say, not as I do. Mm-hmm. Right. So that is an old tool. Mm. That is a tool that was used to keep kids. Some people would say in place, mm-hmm. the parents that said that would say, keep kids safe. Don't pay attention to me. Pay attention to what it is that I tell you, just like kids should be seen and not heard. I still work with adults who remember their parents saying that. So, so what does that, what are, what are the implications of that? Mm. Kids should be seen and not heard. If you're a 45 year old, you're probably not talking about your feelings, you know, but here's the most important thing. How then are you parenting mm. your kids if that's what you've heard? And so Will gave a, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with the book, Will, my co-author, gave a great example of as a youth pastor who is amazing and everybody just loves Will. He used some some old tools, right? And as a parent, sometimes I use old tools, even though I know that um, it, it doesn't always work. And so that's the piece of it is that for some kids being heavy handed, lecturing, saying you're not using your potential. By the way, think about that statement. I want you to meet your potential and right now you're not doing it. Mm. We don't realize, I've heard people say that that is probably the toughest thing that their parents or their teachers or their coaches have said. Interesting, wow. Because they're already beating themselves up. And that's the thing to know about this generation, why it's so, the younger generation, why it's so important, Justin, to have empathy is my kid, my, my youth and college students that are the most anxious 
are also the kindest, mm. the most conscientious, the harder, you know, the hardest on themselves. Um, they're going to show up for their friends. They have this need to meet other people's expectations. So then mm -hmm. when we put something on them, like, Hey, I don't know if you're really meeting your potential, like that crushes them, mm. that crushes them. So what we see, um, as weakness in, in, in their anxiety, isn't, isn't weakness. Mm. It's, it's a, it's a desire to, to please and meet the demands and meet obligations and, and be the best version of themselves that they can be. Now, do we need to offer some new coping tools so they don't feel such a burden in that mm -hmm. way? Absolutely. But we do need to have um, some better ways of communicating. And, and and I will say that, and Will, my co-author, says this all the time when we're teaching together, in a lot of ways, seeing is like a communication book. <laughs> it's, a, it's like an effective communications mm -hmm. a book for, for, for parents of a certain age and caring adults who did things and said things to kids that they were expecting a certain outcome. And for some kids that might be effective, this, our, our younger generation, it's not, it's mm -hmm. not. They're, they're critical thinkers, they're collaborators, they're problem solvers. They have their own vision of what this world um, should look like. And it, it often doesn't match what they're seeing, mm -hmm, what we're mm -hmm. seeing in the media and how we're treating each other. Um, but we shouldn't discount that. We mm -hmm. shouldn't dismiss their experience. We should lean in um, and say, tell me more. Right? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, those are my thoughts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you, th let me think of how to say this. Cause I'm curious to know mm -hmm. why are young people today so hard on themselves? Yeah, such a good question. Yeah. So there are a number of factors. Um, do you remember this, Justin? Do you remember when you were in the first grade, back up kindergarten, what the requirement was in terms of counting? How, what was the number you had to reach? Oh, 10? Yeah. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So can I tell you, um, so nowadays I have a six year old and you're young, you're young, mm -hmm. you're younger than I am. Um, for me, it was one to 10. That was the requirement. I have a six year old when he was four, when he was in preschool, I received a letter from the teacher. It was a standard letter. It wasn't just for mm -hmm. my kid, mm -hmm. but you know, you take it personal, right? <laughs> saying, <laughs> saying that, um, you know, the class wasn't really, you know, meeting the requirements and that this was very serious because by kindergarten, my kid was four, by kindergarten, they're going to need to know how to count from one to 20 or one to 30. I was like, hmm. what? What? And so I'm a therapist, right? So I looked at it. I sort of laughed. My mom was with me. She's a Montessori teacher. My mom, my mom's an educator. By the way, she was kind of hard on me, right? <laughs> Just to be honest, she was like, what do they need to what forget about that we laughed but when i talked to other parents they were on pins and needles i've got to get my kid to do this and it wasn't just the numbers it was whatever whatever yeah. part of the curriculum so hmm. that was so eye-opening for me right like we as parents are wondering and worrying at for our kids who are at very young ages if they're measuring up so then for a parent who wasn't a therapist or who didn't laugh it off or maybe felt offended, 
What do you think they did to their child? Come on, let's do that. And not in an abusive right. or horrible way. Yeah. Come on, let's do these, um, you know, the, the, what do you call those cards? The, the, whatever. Um, we've got to learn this, we've got to get this. And the same thing with like learning words, like it starts so young. So I say this because that was my personal experience. Mm-hmm. But my adolescents and my college students are saying the exact same thing from a young, young age. They felt the pressure Mm. to be the best. They felt the pressure to succeed. They felt the pressure to change the world. I I talked to a young Mm. person the other day, 11 or 12, and and we were talking about careers and stuff. And I was like, what is it that you want to do again? And he said, I want to be the captain of my industry. What? <laughs> where, do you, where do you get that from? Huh. Where do you get that from? <laughs> so we actually know that girls in particular, and guys, guys are feeling it too, but mm-hmm. teenage girls in particular are feeling more and more pressure to be the best, mm. not just at one thing, but at everything. Mm. So that's why when the pandemic hit and the academic pressure was off, the anxiety went down. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's one thing. Yeah. The other thing that we can't, and you can, if you want, did you want to say anything to that, Justin, before no, I move no. on to the other thing that I think is a, is problematic? Sure. Social media. <laughs> and by the way, mm. technology isn't going anywhere and I don't want it to. Sure. And as a mental health therapist, I have an Instagram account. I have a Facebook account. I have a LinkedIn account. So I have all the, all the handles. I don't, you know, probably use them appropriately, but I, I have them and mm-hmm. I have found that it's been a really great way to spread the message about mental health and yeah. mental wellness, especially in 2020, right? We were all talking about that. And from a business perspective, that's where people are. And mm. so if there's something that you want to put out there in the world, um, right. the, bu- the book, right. social media is there. So lots of wonderful things about social media and technology, but I'm not sure if you, if you heard about this, Justin, probably about not too long ago, three months ago, um, I'll say October. I don't know when mm-hmm. this is airing. I think January, uh, Facebook who owns Instagram told on Instagram saying that Instagram was harmful for the mental health of teen girls. Hmm. Like they, they're the same company, mm-hmm. but there was an internal document that got leaked. Where Interesting. They, yes. Look it up, you guys, where it was pretty um, alarming huh. um, in terms of teen girls, self-esteem and anxiety and wow. even, even depression. So it's not about social media. It's not going anywhere. anywhere. It's about how we teach our young people to consume, to digest, to access the information mm-hmm. without that comparison, mm-hmm. which happens so often. And then it, it goes back to, am I measuring up? Mm-hmm. Am I good enough? And then sometimes, especially when you don't have the face-to-face interaction, a lot of our young people rely heavily on what they post and how their peers respond. So if they don't get likes, Justin, do you like everything that you actually like on social media? No. No, of course not. No, but they're young people are, ju- and so I had this conversation with young people, but they're judging mm. themselves and the way that they perceive themselves by how many likes yeah. they get and comments they get on social media. Wow. 
that's that's an interest. I'm gonna have to look up that document because I mean I saw I watched the social dilemma, you know, on on that topic on Netflix, but I, I did not know how serious it was. That's so, and it's fascinating that they told on themselves. Thanks. Well, so it's out there now. We know. It's yeah, that's interesting. Like, what do we do, and how do we teach our, yeah. our young people to yeah to consume it in a way that's going to be healthy for them? Because I think yeah. there's a way. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> um, so you have. You and you and your co-author have five ways to connect. You know, it's five ways to help foster this repairing that I just I, I'm absorbing it. I'm taking notes. I'm 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 spreading the word because um, it's so good. Um, for the sake of time, could, yes. could you share just a little bit about the first one? So let me re- can I read them off real quick? The five. Sure, please. So it's show up, see them, just mm-hmm. listen, speak mm-hmm. life, mm-hmm. and build grit. But yes. show I want. Could you talk a little bit about showing up? Because when you write about it, you say this is probably the most important one. So can you share a little bit about how do we show up? What is it? And where do we go? Yes. And so, and I love that. Thank you so much. And, And so just to kind of back up for a second, showing up is the very first connection tool. And so what we're doing is we're addressing the disconnection. We're addressing Mm. the despairing. And so God has given us the ability through empathy and love to repair the brain. So if there's always hope is what we say. And mm-hmm. so show, show up is the first tool because we have found through our study um, in neuroscience and also attachment resource that the best predictor of kids and adolescents, emotional resiliency and emotional wellness um has to do with another caring person who Mm. can help them to regulate their own emotions. So if you think of high anxiety and what that looks like, and Justin, I love that you were so open because that's another thing that I preach to ministry leaders and youth pastors is we've got to be open with Mm -hmm. our struggles. So I, people look at me as a parenting expert. I'm like, no, no, no. (laughs) I have read a few books Mm -hmm. and I've tried some things that have worked and I've also messed up. Mm-hmm. Right. I've also messed up and let me tell you how, right. And let mm-hmm. me tell you, you mm-hmm. know, what you can do differently. So I think that's, that's yeah. so key. But if you've experienced high levels of anxiety, you know what that feels like. You feel out of control. If, if mm-hmm. you've ever experienced, you know, depression, sometimes you feel like you can't get out of bed. And so mm-hmm. if you're living in isolation, if you're living in your own head, whoo, your head is telling you a lot of awful things about the future, about the past, about regrets and disappointments. Mm. And so we need other people. Mm. God, our God is a relational God. And so we are created and designed to be in relationship. And so us as adults and youth pastors, showing up for someone means being present. Mm. Being present is the single most important thing um, that we as caring adults can do for kids and teens, emotional well-being. Um, and so this is based on on science. And so there are so many different ways to to show up. The first thing I always say is um, as youth pastors specifically, we know about the ministry of presence. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Heard of that. And so when someone is dealing with loneliness or grief or loss or whatever, 
sometimes the human inclination is to say something encouraging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To say in the offer scripture, which by the way is an old tool. <laughs> it, it still works. It still works, but we want to fold in these other tools, right? Yeah. Because we show up first and we allow them to share because that's going to help the person to emotionally exhale, but they're not going to do it if we're talking Mm -hmm. and if we're hitting them with every, you know, scripture in the Bible and how they shouldn't feel this way because they have a big house and they go to private school. (laughs) That's an old school. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Guilting someone lecturing um, is an old tool comparing Mm when your sister lives, you know, your sister's doing great. (laughs) Like what's wrong with you? Yeah. Right. Um, so those are old tools that some of us get caught up in that don't work. It actually feeds more shame um, mm. and internal criticism. So uh, showing up means holding back when maybe you want to say something. And by the way, you may be offering wisdom and again, mm-hmm. biblical truth, but it's more important to show up and just allow the person to talk Mm. and so you mindfully listen which means every now and again you may repeat something that they've said just so they know that you're tracking but you're not over talking Mm -hmm. you also want to show up when it's not very convenient Mm -hmm. so um uh you know will tells a story in the book that he i think he tells it in the book or he tells it every time we're, we're together as a youth pastor maybe you've experienced this um, it'll be like they'll come off like a three-day weekend, like at a camp or a big event, and all the pastors will be like so exhausted. Mm-hmm. And the very last night at like midnight or one in the morning, someone comes up and wants to talk about something really deep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you could say we could talk about it in the morning, mm-hmm. <laughs> or you can show up. When it's mm-hmm. not very convenient, when, you know, maybe you don't have all your faculties uh, about you, but that's okay because mm-hmm. that's when that person needs to emotionally exhale. And so you don't have to say the exact right thing. Mm-hmm. You just have to be there. Um, and then finally related to, it's not a finally, there are actually a list of things that we, <clears throat> that we outline in the book, but just for the sake of time, since we're talking about technology, we want to show up undistracted as caring Mm. adults and Mm. that means putting down the phone our young people are already attached to the phone if we're honest we are as well Mm -hmm. um we want to make sure that we are giving adequate space with very little distraction so Mm. if it's something that's like set up where you know you're going to meet with someone i would say turn off notifications put your phone in your book bag um Mm. you know there's this thing with the iphone where you can silence calls unless and if it's an emergency, it'll like repeat like the, the ring, right? Mm-hmm. So you'll know it's an emergency. And so even just us having this on our, on our lap or, you know, in our pocket can be a distraction. So I would say just put the phone mm-hmm. away. Um, and then for parents, we always say, is there a place in the home that can be technology free device? Oh, interesting. Yes, huh. yes, yes, yes. And create that, make that even if you, if everybody's been on their device for dinner for years Mm -hmm. or during dinner for years, Mm -hmm. say starting January 1st, 2022, can we create a no phone, you know, or device free zone Mm -hmm. in this part of the home or during this routine that we have? If you have teenagers, they're going to push back. Yeah. But But I am telling you, 
they are going to appreciate it because as much joy um, and excitement as their phones seem to bring them, Mm -hmm. I've seen it as a therapist when I've instituted or challenged my young people to have like a phone detox. Oh my gosh, Justin, they're sometimes afraid to go back to their phones because yeah. the anxiety and the pressure is there. So it's like yeah. a mixed bag. So if you can just do that even for 30 mm. minutes for dinner in the car, traveling from one, from, you know, from your house to the yeah. thing, I think it's so important just for connection. Mm. Yeah. I, I had a, uh, a college pastor that whenever I would meet with her, she'd put her phone in her desk and like, I would have her attention for our set time. Well, we're running out of time. Um, I do want to um, ask you if, if anyone wants to get in touch with your work, how can they uh, find you and or your work? Thank you so much for asking that. So yes, I am actually on um, Instagram, probably the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my IG handle is uh, dr period. Chinway Williams. So DR period C H I N W E um, Williams. And then um, I'm also on LinkedIn at my, my first and last name, Chinway Williams. Um, my website for those who are looking for resources, and I do have blogs on um, mm-hmm. our blog articles on my website. I um, can be found at meaningfulsolutionscounseling.com. All right. I will definitely put those in the show notes for people um, to get connected. And do, if I have your permission, could I also put the Amazon or um, yeah. where to, wherever to find the book too? Oh, please. 100%. We do. We, we really wrote this book um, because we, we want everyone to have, like, yeah. to, to feel like they're empowered in, in helping to sh- shift what's happening with this Absolutely. youth generation. So Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it will tip the tides. <laughs> so, all right. Thank you so much, Dr. Williams. Thank you, Justin. Appreciate the time. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much for joining me this month's podcast. I hope you learned a lot. I know I did. I had a lot of fun reading the book and talking to Dr. Williams. All her information will be in the show notes. So if you want to connect with her or, you know, buy the book, which I do recommend. Next month, I'm really excited. I will be talking to Mark Ostriker or Marco. He's a veteran youth worker for like, I think he said 40 years, uh, author of several books and uh, part of Youth Cartel. And we talk about pastoring transgender youth. A crucial conversation that needs to be happening in the church and i hope you find it helpful and listen to it next month and hey if you like this podcast give it a good review and send it to a friend seriously i want to help uh leaders out there in learning how to have hard conversations and learning with me all right see you next month